great to see you this morning uh, here in person. For those of you uh, joining us online, Merry Christmas to you as well. And we're so glad uh, that you are here. Listen, if you have a Bible, we're continuing our Advent series. Uh, and so we're going to pick up in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 63. And, uh, and so feel free here at Mercy Hill. Use the table of contents if you need to. Or uh, go to the you know, front of the uh, app and like direct yourself or whatever. You don't have to be like a miracle worker or do magic or whatever incantations to try to find Isaiah here. Uh, it's totally fine. Um, so my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, this morning, what we're going to see in Isaiah 63 and what we're going to spend time together talking about is perhaps something at Christmas time that we don't quite talk enough about. Uh, Christmas is a time of great joy and rejoicing. It is time, like we talked about last week, where we remember that light is coming into the darkness, uh, that Jesus has come, uh, that Jesus is coming again. But often at Christmas, we gloss over the fact that it's still winter, uh, that it is still dark. Christmas for many of us is a time of joy, but it's tinted with sorrow. The holidays can be a reminder of what isn't right, who is missing, the things that didn't work out, the parts of our lives that we wished had been different. And so for a lot of us at Christmas, while we love the lights and the carols and everything that goes along with Christmas, there is this hint of grief or sorrow. You may feel like, Kirby Brown uh, describes in his song, The Shepherd's Lament, when he writes this, I hear everybody singing, but I just can't find the tune. If grace is coming, I hope it's coming soon. Feeling like perhaps everyone is experiencing joy, everyone is singing the Christmas carols, everyone is excited about Christmas, and yet you don't know quite what to do with the sorrow or grief you feel inside. And you think, because of our Instagram, Facebook, social media uh, world, everybody's loving this season, and I'm the only one that feels this way. Well, there's good news for those of us who feel sorrow and grief. Uh, there's good news for those of us who are walking through difficult and maybe dark times. Uh, the scripture really gives us a gift, a gift of the spiritual practice called lament. A lament is given to people who are walking through a time of winter. Lament is a gift given to us for when things aren't right, when things don't make sense, when things are confusing. We could, during the season, do a variety of things with our emotions. We could stuff them down deep inside and just smile uh, over some, a family dinner and just pretend that things are good. Uh, we could blow up another family gathering, all right? I know some of you, you're not beyond that, right? Uh, we could just suck it up and move on, uh, or we could learn and engage in this beautiful practice in the scripture called lament. Lament is an expression of our grief and sorrow and designed to help us preserve hope even in difficult times. A lament is a spiritual practice to help us navigate our spiritual winter. Elizabeth. Yeah, okay. So let's look at it, Isaiah 63. We're going to pick up in verse 15. Here is what 
Isaiah writes to us his prayer to God. It says, look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation, where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. Maybe you felt like this before. Isaiah articulating this grief on behalf of God's people says, hey God, could you look down here? Do you, do you see me? Don't you see what's happening right now? Aren't we your people? It says, where's your zeal and might? Zeal is this idea of enthusiasm for someone. He's saying, God, where's your enthusiasm for us? Your might, where is your strength used on our behalf? And then he uses this interesting phrase, right? The stirring of your inner parts. Literally, it means the sound of your bowels. Really what he's saying is, where is your yearning for us? Where is your desire to know us? Aren't you groaning for us? And then where is your compassion or your concern? It's another way of saying what Kirby Brown said. I hear everyone singing, but I can't find the tune. And God, I don't know what you're going to do about it. Now remember what we learned from last week, that Isaiah is writing around the people of God going into exile. So in the context, he's saying, like, it looks as though, God, you have abandoned us. It looks like you're withholding good things from us, that you're actually restraining yourself from doing good to us. Why on earth would you do that? It's pretty honest, right? Verse 16, for you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from old is your name. What's he saying in verse 16? He says, we know you. You know us. We belong to you, even though it might not look like it right now. Like a parent looking to a father and going, I know I belong to this family. I know things have been estranged. I know it's difficult, but I know that I belong here. My uh, college roommate is a guy named Thad, uh, and he is an interesting sort of dude. Uh, if you ever get the pleasure to meet him, you can tell him that I said, uh, oh, we heard about you. Brandon said you're an interesting sort of dude, and he would agree. But he was on the club rugby team at the University of Georgia, um, which takes an interesting sort of person. And uh, one day we're watching a rugby match, and, um, and he's in it. His mom is visiting. She's in town, and so we're all watching the match. And he gets hit in the face in such a way that it pushed his nose all the way to one side, and it split right down the middle. Uh, it was pretty gruesome. Uh, he continued to play rugby because I guess that's what you do when you're a rugby player. Uh, and they had to force him to come off of the pitch. We called a field. They called a pitch, whatever. Uh, they forced him to come off the pitch. His mom missed all the action, looked over to the sideline and said, would you look at that guy's face? What happened to that guy? And we said, that guy is your son. And this is the moment. This is what Isaiah is saying. God, I belong to you even though you might not recognize me right now. Even though it might not look like it. We belong to you. Verse 17. Oh, Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden your heart so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. You talk about honest. 
He says, I'll tell you the problem. The problem's actually with you. God, didn't, didn't you give us these stubborn hearts? Didn't you put us in this position? You are part of the problem. You allowed us to stray off of your path. You allowed us to wander from your ways. You gave us these, these hearts. I don't respect you and follow you in this moment, and it's your fault is the idea here. We don't need to temper this in any way. Now, let's pause for a second, all right? Let's pause because I want to explain something really important. Laments are not about theological precision. They are honest expressions of emotion. And God is big enough and compassionate enough toward you to not only rejoice in your theological precision, but also rejoice and receive your honest expression of emotion. The point of this verse isn't to chase down who is responsible for every single action. Did God do this to me or is this my fault? Instead, the point is to express honestly in lament how the author is feeling. Here's good news. Please don't miss, if you miss everything else, please don't miss this today. God is not afraid of your accusations. He's not. I promise you, God is assured of who he is. He is confident in every decision he's ever made. In your honesty or, or displeasure about a decision or a situation is not going to change the way he sees himself. And it's also not going to change the way he sees you. Your prayers, especially prayers of lament, won't always be places of theological accuracy, but they're not designed for that. Doctrinal statements, confessions of the faith, creeds, that's what they're designed for. Laments are honest. So in 17, verse 17, the author is saying, like, I mean, I think this is even partly your fault. Verse 18. Your holy people held possession for a little while. They're talking about the land. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you never ruled, like those who were not called by your name. He's saying, this is bad. In fact, this situation is so bad, it's hard for me to even imagine a time when it wasn't bad. And it's hard for me to even remember a time, God, when you were involved. When we felt like your hand was on us. When we felt like you were doing good to us. This is brutal. I mean, this is like a husband saying to a wife, I can't even remember a time when we were in love. I know that we were, but I don't even recall what that was like. And this is a lament. All right. We're going to ask three questions. All right. Three questions as we continue. So if you're taking notes, are you ready? Question number one. Let's define it. What is a lament? A lament is a spiritual practice to help us navigate difficult times. They're expressions of emotion to God. They're an outpouring of our grief and sorrow. 
Laments are expressions of desperation, knowing that we need God to help. Laments most often in the scripture begin with this question, how long? So God, how long will you ignore injustice in my city or in our nation? Or God, how long will I be surrounded by my enemies? Or God, how long will the wicked continue to keep on winning? Or God, how long will you continue to be silent and not answer? How long will I be overwhelmed by personal sorrow? How long will I uh, continue to fall back into the same sin over and over and over again? God, how, how long will we continue in our current circumstance? These are calls for justice to be served, calls for God to set things right. Ultimately, lament points us back to a hope in God. But rarely in the scripture do we see the circumstances resolved for the author of laments. In other words, the hope isn't in getting the answer that you want, but the hope is in having a God who turns his compassionate ear toward you. And so laments could be prayers or songs or journal entries. And these prayers and songs and journal entries serve not, not to resolve our circumstances, but to help us process the emotions that we're experiencing at any given point in time. To know that we do worship a God who walks with us in times of sorrow. So we could define it this way. Lament is honestly expressing grief or sorrow as an act of faith. Lament is honestly expressing grief or sorrow as an act of faith. Mark Varagop says it this way. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. So it's a time where we say, I don't know, I don't understand, and I don't like it. But I'm going to continue to pray because in prayer I'm going to fight to continue to believe, God, that you're good even when I don't see it. As a practice, then this allows us to acknowledge our disappointments, our fears, our griefs, our pain points, all to the Lord, but while maintaining hope in his goodness and his grace. Christina Fox says, The laments in Scripture do more than just voice painful emotions. The Psalms of lament in particular go further than just re releasing pent-up emotions. They are more than mere catharsis. Within them, these Psalms are theology, a doxology, a form of worship. They are reminders of the truth. And this is important. She says, they are exercises in faith. They're transformative for the believer, and there's much that we can learn from them. So that's what a lament is. It's an expression, an honest expression of grief and sorrow. But behind it is an act of faith. It is saying, God, I can't do something about this, but you can. I can't control this, but you can. I don't understand this, but you do. So how do we do it? How do we engage in this practice of lament? Four elements, these are not necessarily steps. So if you find a lament in the scripture, it might not be like in this order. So for some of you who are like, you know, one, two, three, four, everything has to be in order, this may or may not be helpful. But all of these elements are found in laments. Uh, this is from Mark Vergop's book, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies. 
Uh, if you haven't read it, I'd recommend it. I recommended it a couple years ago when we worked, worked through the book of Habakkuk together, and I would recommend it again. So number one is what he says, turn to God. So if you're taking notes, how do I lament? Number one, I turn to God. Here's why. We move in lament from talking to ourselves to talking to God. You've probably heard me say this to you before, but the person who preaches to you the most is not me, it's you. The person who repeats truth to you the most is not me, it's you. And often what happens in grief and sorrow is we get stuck in this loop where we're talking to ourselves. And there's very little hope for anything to get better because we continue to talk to someone who obviously can't do anything about the circumstance or I would have already done it. And so in lament, we simply move from talking to ourselves to God. The content is basically the same. We see this in Psalm 63, verse 17 in particular, where Isaiah says, Oh, Lord, you. God, I'm talking to you. I've been talking to myself over and over about my problems or my grief or my sorrow, but now I'm moving into lament, and so I am changing who I'm talking to. I'm turning to you. I'm directing my complaints and my grief and my sorrow and my disappointment to you. Now, let's be honest. This can be uncomfortable. In fact, this can even come with maybe a measure of fear. But silent despair is way more dangerous than an honest prayer before God. So step one or element one is we turn to God. The second element of lament number two is we bring our complaint. Like complaint, it's like filling out the comment card at the Wendy's, right? Here's what we mean is, you have a problem, and there's no reason to gloss over the problem. Just be honest about your problem with God. Complaint requires humility and honesty. It could be all sorts of questions. God, why are you not near? Why are you not acting very godlike? How long will the wicked continue to win? How long will I feel the sense of loss or guilt or despair? We see three types of complaint or three different complaints in our text today. Verse 15, where are your zeal and your might, the stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back to me? It's a complaint. Where are you? Why don't you care? Why are you restraining goodness from me right now? Verse 17, again, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we will not fear you? God, why? this feels like your fault. Verse 19, we have become like those over whom you never rule, like those who are not called by your name. God, we're so far away from you that it doesn't even look like we ever knew you. These complaints we bring before God, why? Because in our times of grief and sorrow, we have a tendency to go in two different directions. One direction, we just deny it, just grin and bear it, push our feelings down. The other direction is we move towards, for some of us, anger, for some of us, despair. Kind of the root is the same of both of those things, and we just get really angry or we get really depressed. But in bringing our complaints before God, we're, not, we're navigating a path in between those two extremes. 
I'm not happy. Things are not right, but God, I'm going to come to you with that. I'm not going to be consumed with anger or despair. I'm not going to pretend like this never happened, but instead I'm going to be honest and truthful and forthright, God, with you. This is specific. Your complaint should be specific. Addressing a particular wrong, a particular pain point, a particular injustice. And really what we're saying, and don't miss this, is we're saying, God, in my experience currently, I don't know everything, but in my experience currently, it feels like you're acting in a way that's out of character. And I'm going to make sure you know that. So we bring our complaint. Number three, we ask boldly, all right? So we turn to God, we bring our complaint, and number three, we ask boldly. In our text, we see this two different times. Verse 15, look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. It's a bold ask. Think about this as just an individual person currently in our world. Billions of people, and you go, God, would you just look and see my situation? Could you turn your eye to me? It's a bold ask. Behind it is this idea, because if you saw what was actually going on here, if you could see it, you would do something about it. Verse 17, return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Look and see, and then come back. Intervene for me. Intervene on behalf of your people. This asking boldly could be all types of prayers. A prayer for God to move or work. A prayer for God to help. A prayer for God to remember his promises. A prayer for God to act in justice. A prayer for God to be merciful to us, to forgive us. A prayer for God to restore us. A prayer for God to grow us spiritually. A prayer for God to defend us instead of us defending ourselves. All of these are asking boldly. And then number four is this, choose to trust. Verse 16, the author says, for you are our father. I know I belong to you. Oh Lord, you are our father. And then he says this, our redeemer from old is your name. In other words, the author here is saying, hey, redeeming people is what you do. In fact, redeeming people is so much of what you do that it's what people call you. So because your name is Redeemer, I'm going to trust that you're going to redeem us too. What happens in this process of lament is you fight for something beautiful at the end. That you fight for this little bit of hope. And you go, I don't see how all of these dots connect, and I don't see the full picture, and I don't understand why it seems like everyone is experiencing a lot of joy, but I'm walking through a difficult time. But here's what I know at the end of the day. Redeemer is your name. And so I'm just going to trust you, God, somehow, some way, you're going to redeem this and make it right. So that's how we lament. We turn to God. We bring our complaint. We ask boldly and we choose to trust. But question number three is this, why do I need to lament? Why do I need it? Why can't I just be angry? Why can't I just blow up another family gathering? Why can't I just ignore the feelings inside? 
Four reasons why we need lament quickly. Number one, lament helps us find needed mercy. That's the gift of this spiritual practice. That through lament, we sort through the rubble and the darkness, and what we find is God wants to give us what we need. Even when we find that we don't deserve it. That God's presence is going to be with us at our weakest moment. In lament, we find encouragement. In lament, we might identify something inside of us. It's It's what Isaiah is doing here, right? He's complaining about the situation to God, and in doing so, he has to be honest. But I also know we don't look anything like the way you designed us to look. And that can be a heavy weight in lament to find there's something also wrong with you. But then he finds this mercy. God, I know redeeming is what you do. I know you do care. I know you can forgive. So one of the reasons we need lament is lament helps us find God's mercy. The second reason is because lament helps us develop a spiritual resiliency. The practice of lament is like improving our immune system. It's like building up a resistance to all the things that are coming around us. There seems to be a current kind of very popular movement that Christianity is really more like self-help. And you have dreams and goals and desires, and what God's going to do is he's going to come alongside you, and all of your wildest dreams are going to come true. The problem is, is that's not true. It's not true biblically, but even on the surface, like it's not true experientially for any of us. This life is full of disappointment and heartache. People you love are going to die. Things you dreamed about are going to be shattered. We live in a desperately dark world. And perhaps what you and I need more than everything working out perfectly is what we need is a resiliency that can walk us through times when things aren't right. When life is hard and confusing, it doesn't make any sort of sense. And so lament is a spiritual practice that helps you build up this resiliency, that helps you fight against the temptation to give up, that helps us to acknowledge wrongdoing and process our doubts, but then also come back and go, but God, I know you're good. And even though I don't see it, and I don't know how the dots connect, and I'm not sure how it's all going to work out, I know you are good. Uh, in um, uh, 2000, uh, I, I didn't know about the process of lament. I wish I had it. You guys have heard me tell the story before, but one of my friends, uh, his name was Kenny, he was diagnosed with leukemia and uh, later passed away from leukemia. And as a sophomore, I actually, no, it was 1999, so as a freshman in college, me and my roommate Greg, he drove me to Emory in the middle of the night a nurse let us in the building for some reason. Everything was locked up. And I sat in a hospital room and watched my friend Kenny struggle to breathe. It's one of the most devastating experiences of my life. Years later, we had a 
former pastor named Sidney Odom at our previous church who had served for 10 years, came back and had served as an interim, and then came back as a church member. He was dearly loved. And on a hospital visit, while he was in uh, hospice care, I sat in a cinder block cold room and watched the same thing all over again. It is unavoidable. None of us and none of the people that we love are going to die with dignity. It's either going to be too young or alone. And what you and I need is not to deny that pain and suffering is a part of our lives. What we need is resiliency, that there's hope through it. And that's the gift of lament. Number three, lament builds an understanding community. Here's what we love to do. We love to short circuit everybody else's sorrow. Do you know what I mean? We don't want anybody to do that to us. But when someone else is walking through a difficult time, we're the first people to be like, oh, God's got it. There's going to be a bigger purpose. Everything's going to work out for good. Some of those things are very true. But often it comes across as lacking compassion. Why? Because we short circuit our sorrow. We didn't process it ourselves, so we don't have anything to offer anybody else. But God is, wants to build our church into an understanding, compassionate community, and lament is a tool to do that. It helps you walk through times of grief and sorrow so that then you can also walk with others through times of grief and sorrow. In this way, lament is not only an inward discipline, but it's also an outward spiritual practice giving us the tools and the compassion and the mercy that we need to walk with other people through difficult times. Which when you think about it, what, what if that's why we suffer together so often? It's because in community there's actually something better. So lament helps us build an understanding community. And then number four, lament leads us to the gospel. Jesus, the man of sorrows. Jesus understands sorrow and grief. Jesus understands loss. Jesus losses humanly father, Joseph, at some point in his life. Jesus experienced rejection of his family. They thought he was crazy at certain points. Jesus had his best friends not be there for them in his lowest moments. Jesus taught and taught and taught and people didn't get it. Jesus at the moment where it seems like he's on a fast track for success would choose rejection again. Jesus was betrayed by people who confessed to love him crucified by people who hated him and yet rose from the dead. Here's the amazing thing about lament. 
is it helps us sort out and remember that often God is at work in places that don't seem like it. That even in Jesus, the Savior whom we follow, we have this example of sorrow upon sorrow and grief upon grief. came across a book several months ago. It was titled, The Millionaire from Nazareth. Uh, I got about four chapters in. Uh, it was absolute trash. Uh, the argument of the book was that Jesus was incredibly wealthy uh, and that Jesus received everything that he uh, longed to receive. Um, and I thought, this is really interesting uh, but none of the author, the author evidently did not read a single gospel, right? Like, because that's not the picture that Matthew paints. That's not the picture that Mark paints. That's not the picture that Luke paints. And that's not the picture that John paints. Instead, in Jesus, we find this man of sorrows. So whatever you're going through this Christmas, whatever loss that's maybe overwhelming you, at whatever point where you know you're supposed to have joy, but instead you get sorrow. And whoever's missing and in whatever didn't work out. I want you to know that Jesus understands. He experienced it. He walked through it. And I want you to know that God's name is Redeemer. And he used the greatest sorrow in the world to turn it into the greatest good. He used Jesus' sorrow to save and rescue you. And we have this gift of a spiritual practice called lament. Where we can turn to God. We can bring our complaint. We can ask boldly. And we can trust him because of Jesus' death and resurrection. So here's next steps for us today. Uh, we are in this service, I'm going to give you a little space just to do a little micro lament. Just you take some time to process this on your own. If you're taking notes, you can flip back and go, okay, this is the elements I need, you're not going to have a lot of time, but a little time just to try this practice. And then in our Advent guide that we're walking through together as a church, next week is just a series of laments. And there's a worksheet to help you kind of process and write your own laments. It's not easy, it's foreign to us, but I think it's going to be a helpful tool. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is, instead of running this week, let's just walk to Jesus, bringing our complaints, being honest, but also choosing to trust. Can we do that together? 